From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 239. Today's show is brought to you by Burrow, Hello, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by somebody else. It's not Jason. Haha, <laughs> no, April Fools. It is Jason Snow. Oh. Hi, Jason mm-hmm. Snow. Boy, that was the zaniest April Fool's joke of all, Mike Hurley. Hello. Mm-hmm. No, it is I, Tim Cook. Hello, Michael Hurley. Hashtag Snell Talk question this week comes from <laughs> Seth. And Seth wants to know, Jason, do you know how many author pictures or photos you've written under? And what prompts you to change your picture or avatar when you do? I haven't counted. Uh, I had a couple in high school, or no, in college, where literally the photo editor would take new photos of everybody every year because they wanted them to be their perfect art. And I still got a couple of those kicking around. Um, I got a picture taken when I was an intern at Mac user to be mentioned in a column once by the editor-in-chief. And then as editor-in-chief of Macworld, when I was writing my column there, I had a column photo... And I, I don't remember, I think at some point, like they took my column photo and at some point they wanted to all that have all the column photos matched. So they took another column photo. And then at some point, I think the art director of the photographer decided that they didn't like that one. So then I had to go to the photographer studio and take another column photo. Um, I used that for a while in my non-professional, post-professional, whatever it is, magazine life. Now that I just am on the internet, uh, sometimes I use pictures of me that I find acceptable, um, I used a picture that John Gruber took of me at WWDC for a while. I used a picture that Sean Blanc took of me at WWDC for a while. Uh, and I'm currently on, on Twitter, I'm using an illustration. Uh, the Ool conference had all this drew, drew little pictures of all the speakers and it's their illustration of me. Although I was thinking just the other day that I'm, oh, I'm almost ready to replace that with a, with, with a real photo. Um, yeah. So and and same for um you know on six colors uh in the newsletter I have a picture of myself and that's changed and it really is just like what do I have that looks decent that's fairly recent and um uh I'm currently using one that I took at a conference that somebody took of me at a conference so yeah yeah it's uh prompt what prompts me to change them I get tired of them or I don't think they resemble me anymore that's mm-hmm. basically the the reason yeah I mostly change my avatars when something has changed about me so like i'm looking at getting new glasses soon so i'll be looking to replace my avatar at some point after that um so there you go if you would like to send in a question like seth did just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk it can be about anything to help us open the show and we start with some follow-up slash follow-out um wwdc is coming and relay fm is going to be doing their live show we're going to be doing an episode of connected on wednesday june the 5th um, tickets are still on sale, but there really aren't many left. Um, it will be sold out pretty soon. Uh, so I would recommend people go to the link in the show notes. It's the first link in the show notes. It's got some flashing lights around it so you won't miss it. They're emoji. They're not real flashing lights. Um, we're really excited. We're going to be doing our show again at the Hammer Theater, which is my favorite venue that we've done anything in because it's mm-hmm. like a real theater. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, it is like a block away from the convention center. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's near like the Fairmont Hotel and stuff. If that if you know where that is in San Jose, so it's going to be on Wednesday, June the fifth. Um, you won't want to miss the show. We had a great time putting it on last year, uh, and we're working hard on making a really fun and exciting show for you. So that's Wednesday, June the fifth. I'd like to make a couple announcements related to that. One is I would like to be the first to announce that I will uh, I'll be at that event. 
<laughs> so if you want to know where Jason Snell is, that's where he's going to be. I'll, I'll be. If you want to see me, I'll probably be in the first row. I'll probably not be on stage, but you never know. But uh, that, and then also the Dan Morin and I are uh, possibly going to do a, uh, a live performance of the Six Color Secret podcast that week. If we do, <laughs> it will be on a bench somewhere, mm-hmm. but we're hoping to have a live studio audience this time. Oh, outside. interesting. Just to have okay. like, a, like a flash mob podcast audience. So we'll see how that goes. But um, I also have another <laughs> announcement that's not okay. related to WWDC, which is um, next week's episode, episode 240. You, Mike, are missing mm-hmm. big milestone episode 240. Is that a big, is that a big no. milestone? Okay. Mm, it's not. Okay. It's not, but you won't be here. I thought anyway, it might have right? been some kind of binary joke or something that I don't get. No, like some computer I don't know. <laughs> Those, uh, you're on assignment, right? Yep. On assignment next week. Yeah, I'm going to be at the Atlanta Pen Show, so uh, that's a big thing with the Pen Addict. We do every year. It's we do a pen a assignment. Show there. Uh, and yep. I'm going to be on a plane on my way home on Monday, so um, Jason's going to be doing one of his famed uh, guest episodes. It's the rare upgrade where you didn't delay and sit an entire extra day in a city. In order to do upgrade, mm-hmm. and because so that's happened many times where yep. you've sat in a city on a Monday so that and flown on a Tuesday, but not this time. Not this time. So I will have a mystery guest. I say that because I actually haven't asked anyone to be on that episode yet, so it is a mystery to me too and to them. But we know it's going to be an all-star mystery guest. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Yes, whoever we get will be uh, spectacular and fabulous. Um, also, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, follow-up from our episodes uh, a year ago at this time, which is that you'll be excited to know, Mike, they're going to roll the baseballs out from behind the gate Oh, good news. on Friday because it's opening day. And alas, you won't be here next week, so we won't be able to re- repeat our confusion uh, where I try to explain how baseball works to you. So, oh, well. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. But that's that's a anyway. The gate the gate is is ready. It's locked, and the baseballs have been placed behind it, and they will open the gate to reveal the baseballs on Friday afternoon, weather permitting. If it rains, the baseballs stay they have inside to stay because they're afraid of they're afraid of the rain. Yeah. Why? What was that? Did we? Did that actually ever get published anywhere? <laughs> I think it did. I don't know. It was it was uh, it was fun though. I think did we post post that on on like you know, on Twitter or put it in a in a B-side or something. It was the, the how no does idea. baseball work and it doesn't work the way Mike thinks it works. But but I have been to a baseball game with you and you you uh, did, you didn't catch a foul ball. A foul ball landed near you and you picked it up. Yep. That's the best way to do it because then you mm-hmm. don't drop yeah. it. Yeah, or you don't get hit by the ball. <laughs> so yeah. That's also good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good for me, I think. All right, but we do have some more pressing news. Um, oh. IMAX. We have some okay. follow-up on the IMAX because, Jason, oh, yeah. I believe you have one. So remember when we were talking about the iMac Pro gap, which is this, this idea that I think a bunch of us have had, which is now that the new iMac has been announced. And, and, and before that, last year when the iMacs and the iMac Pro were being compared, and there was this question of like, do you get a high-end iMac? Do you get a low-end Mac Pro? There's a big price difference between them. There's a gap in performance. Stephen Hackett obviously grappled with this, and he got the high-end iMac, and then he was so turned off by how often the fan blue on it because it's and presumably it's getting throttled too right the processors are heating up and uh they get really hot and the fan blows and tries to do as much as it can and then at some point the system has to just kind of like dial it back because it doesn't want to melt your processor and uh and so steven ended up getting frustrated by the i think primarily the fan noise and returned it and got a mac pro an imac pro instead Uh, so this is the gap 
Um, I am happy to report that I am literally sitting in the iMac Pro gap right now. I have the base model iMac Pro in front of me and the top of the line build to order i9 iMac behind me, a review unit sent by Apple, which I've been testing. Um, so that's been fun. Um, fun way to spend a weekend. Hmm running benchmarks on an iMac, but uh, very interesting. There's also uh, other, some other people are testing this stuff and have come up with something. Steven actually sent me a link to this, uh, a video uh, from Max Tech that's suggesting uh, definitely that something is different about this iMac than the previous generation iMac. And it's unclear what it is. They haven't redesigned the cooling system, but it looks like some combination maybe of firmware in terms of like the, uh, the fan control and the the fan the curve at which the fan kicks in. Mm. Maybe there's something about how the Intel processor is handling, you know, the heat that it is throwing off and how it switches when it does turbo boost and goes really fast. But that video is interesting because the the guy in the Max Tech video found that uh, we'll call him Max. Max should, found. Well, I think we can assume that that person's name is Max. It's Max Tech. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, tech tech could be like his middle name. He could be like Max Tech Johnson. But either way, Max found that uh, that it, the fan uh, took a while to ramp up. It didn't. It wasn't uh, nearly as easy to get the fan to blow, and uh, that the uh, processor got close to the Turbo Boost max speed, although not quite. There's still some thermal throttling going on, and he was pretty impressed with it. Um, in my tests, what I, I found something, and I'm still kind of processing what. I'm uh, looking at here, but it seems to me that a lot of the third-party benchmarks that are used on um, these systems are not necessarily like optimized to how a Pro Mac works with the Xeon processors and the T2 and all the things that are in the iMac Pro. Uh, not too surprising because it's an outlier, right? Like only these uh, Mac Pros and iMac Pros have Xeon processors. Only the iMac Pro has the T2. Uh, they're, they're... What makes me say this, though, is that I ran a bunch of tests where the top-of-the-line i9 iMac is as fast or faster than the base model iMac Pro. Now, that's a $4,200 configuration if you match the the uh, the storage and RAM in the iMac Pro. Um, so it's it's in the ballpark of the $5,000 iMac Pro, um, but it's still surprising to me that it scored the same or, or, or better than the iMac Pro, even though it is, yes, it's a, a year newer computer. But what really kind of blew me away is that I did a bunch of Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro tests as well, and the iMac Pro is better in all of them by a bit. And what that suggests to me is that maybe like only dedicated pro apps and maybe only from Apple are really trying to eke out the most performance from the, the Xeons and, and, you know, and the way that the pro Mac is uh, built in a way that maybe everybody else is just not concerned because that's such a niche, a niche product. Um, I don't know, but it was really striking that like, oh, these computers are about the same, or maybe the new iMac is a little faster. And then you run a Final Cut Pro test and you're like, oh, or <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> and it's uh, it's fascinating. So it's interesting to watch. I will say that p- people who don't want to spend $5,000 on an iMac Pro can can basically, I think you can, you can go all the way up to the speed of the iMac Pro, more or less. There are disadvantages 
in buying an iMac over an iMac Pro, the cooling system is better. There are a bunch of other things about it. It's got the ECC RAM. The storage is faster, I believe. It's got the T2, which the other iMac does not have. Um, so it's a, it, you know, in, in terms of like Mac generations, it's basically still kind of old tech compared to the iMac Pro, which is what a modern Mac looks like. But um, it is interesting to look at this thing and and see just how much power is in that ninth generation i9 processor model. You got to pay a lot for it, but it is pretty impressive. So anyway, that's my report from inside the iMac Pro gap. Let me ask you though, I don't know if this has answered the question, right? Though, as like which one you should get. Like, it is. Do you feel any clearer about which you would recommend to somebody than you did before? My gut feeling right now is that uh, it's actually it's sort of the same argument that I would make before for the iMac Pro, which is you really need to be a pro who uses the pro apps to use the iMac Pro because you can get uh, you you know most of that performance and you can also scale it. A little bit and the iMac Pro it's better to think of it as like it starts at the $5000 model and then it shoots way up from there. So you really need to be somebody who is who is trying to get just enormous amounts of performance. Uh because if you just want a fast iMac, the regular iMac is as fast as you, you need it to be essentially. So I, I'm trying to get more, you know, detail about exactly what's going on performance-wise. It does seem like maybe the this uh new iMac isn't as noisy. You know, it's it's fan characteristics aren't as aggressive, maybe as the old version was. I don't know, but um, but the iMac Pro. I mean, it is. It, 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 Apple's not kidding when it says this is a pro system. Uh, use it with pro apps, and it seems like uh, that that uh, Final Cut and Logic are um, are really better optimized for it than some other software which is interesting but you know that's apple's bread and butter right is they they're, you could argue that they're building these systems with that pro uh, applications group that they've got now and the, the people who are like trying to understand professional workflows that those people um it's apps like final cut and logic and probably some other hand-picked apps that they deem pro are what these pro Macs are being designed for yeah or i guess the other part of it is like knowing if the exact applications that you want to use are working better on the iMac Pro, right? Because you were saying, right, there was in some cases, the depending on the application, depending on the process, the new i9 chips in the iMac in the top of the line can be better. But if you're using kind of the, what seems to be, as you say, the optimized software that Apple is, is somehow optimizing the iMac Pro for, then it's better. But you maybe yeah. need to know that going in, right? If if like your applications of choice are really going to give you that much of a boost on the on the pro line. And the bottom line is that um, that most of the things that most people do are not aggressively multi-threaded, multi-processor, which means you know most of these high-end processors. That's the speed boost you're getting. Is you're yeah. getting lots of processor cores. And, uh, you know, and yes, the high-end iMac is like that too. But the, the, the truth is that for a lot of people, these faster configurations aren't really that much faster because they're trading single core speed to a certain extent for lots of multi-core performance. And if you use apps, like I use the Denoiser in Isotope is multi-core 
uh, heavy multi-core, and that's why I bought the iMac Pro. And it, I just was denoising four-hour-long Dungeons & Dragons files this weekend, lots of them. And they are enormous files. And, you know, it just filled up the cores and cranked through those files. And then there are other... Um, pro plugins even isotope plugins that are single core and they are slow Mm -hmm. and um, on systems that have a faster single core performance they would actually be faster on a different computer so you know the truth is that for a lot of people this whole like we're optimizing to push as far into like multi-core power as possible isn't isn't right for you because you're probably not ever or very rarely in a situation like that um, it is nice that they've added this the vega uh graphics as a built-to-order on the new imac because that that will get you more gpu which could be good if you're doing graphics stuff including uh, games so that's a possibility too but um no it's interesting they're they're different computers and so the new imac is in some ways more advanced because it's newer but in some ways is still like, like i said like a step behind because it doesn't have a t2 it, it's still got the uh, you know it's built for spinning drives even if you replace that with an SSD, it's still, that's what it was built for. It is, you know, 20, you know, 12 or whatever conception of what an iMac is. Whereas the iMac Pro is really a 20, I guess, late 2017 perception of what uh, an iMac is. Um, I also just wanted to talk about one very quick thing for an upstream uh, streaming media segment today, which is just to close out the loop of Disney and 21st Century Fox because the acquisition's complete now. You know, we've been following this uh, as it's been happening over the last few months or so. Um, so as of a few days ago, uh, Disney now owns the entire movie studio of 21st Century Fox. They took the 30% of Hulu that Fox had and now have 60% total of Hulu and the television group. Um, this, but this is like the comedy and drama type stuff. So it's like the television production company because Fox News, Sports, and Broadcast TV will remain with a kind of new Fox Corporation that's yes, being established. Yes, they were called new, new Fox for a while, although yeah. now I think they're back to be calling like 20th Century Fox or something like that mm-hmm. or Fox Entertainment or something like that. It's uh, um, And also it's it's in the U.S. it's very confusing. The Fox Network, uh, the broadcast network, is owned by them. Um but most of the shows on that network are produced by the Fox studio, which is owned by Disney. No. Which means you have this funny thing where like all the networks want to be aligned where like it's their shows from their studios that are on their network. And with this deal closing, it means that the Fox Network's shows are all, you know, not all, but mostly supplied by a company owned by Disney now. They're not... uh, the stuff they own themselves and over time that will probably lead to the fox broadcast network being really different where they're going to dump a lot of uh, scripted stuff and go to reality and sports and other things that um, they produce themselves or with partners so um, that'll be a big change for people who are watching network tv you know i don't know who those people are there aren't that many of them anymore but um but yeah so it's uh it's a it's a new world it's a new day disney uh owns everything now Yep. And as I always like to point out, just kind of like as a refresher, it's like, what did Disney get here? I mean, like, if you think they got a lot of stuff, but some of the key things, they got The Simpsons now. Um, they also have the rights back to X-Men uh, yep. and Deadpool. And Disney have actually confirmed that movies like Deadpool, which have a more adult bent, will continue to be made. But as as Iger said in an interview... But we'll be separated. <laughs> yeah, that that's going to be Arms an interesting thing with with the Marvel intellectual property. That mm-hmm. will be that will be interesting how they do that because it's a Marvel movie 
are they going to put more adult like would they do a Deadpool movie and have it be tied into the Marvel uh, universe? Are they separating it by marketing? There's a lot of questions there too. But it, but yeah, it's an enormous amount. I had that, I had a moment the other day where I realized that my favorite TV show of all time, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that was a Fox produced show. And so Disney owns Buffy the Vampire Slayer now too. There are so many, like it's huge amounts of intellectual property that they own now. Now everyone can ramp up the speculation that Firefly will finally come back because they also own the rights to that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, whatever so. you want, Disney can make and maybe bring it back one day. Today's show is brought to you by Borrow. Home is a wonderful place to be. I'm in my home right now. I like being in my home. Uh, you want everything in your home to feel just right. You want to fill your home with the things that you love and things that suit the way that you live. And Borrow is about rethinking for people and how they shop and live with their sofa. That's why Borrow will let you easily customize a high-quality sofa online, which can be shipped for free in one week. The Borrow sofa adapts to your life. It is scratch and stain resistant, so you don't have to worry about spills and general wear and tear. It has a built-in USB charger into the sofa so you can charge your devices right there. You don't need to like drill a hole through it and snake a cable through. It's built right in. The fabric is totally free of harmful chemicals. The frame is made from sustainably sourced hardwood. And it is a sofa that grows with you. You can actually make borrow sofas bigger at any time by adding new pieces and you can easily set up and disassemble them with no tools required borrow sofas are designed for comfort you can customize every detail you can pick comfy low armrests stylish high ones the proprietary foam is supportive and super cozy and they have a line of stylish pillows and throws as well made from soft hand woven fabric ready to complement your new sofa I think that this is super cool. Uh, we had a sofa a couple of years ago that we bought, and I was terrified about them trying to get it into our apartment building. But with borrow sofas, you don't have to worry about that because it all comes in these little pieces, and then you can just put it together at home on your own. Super, super awesome. Borrow was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning borrow sofa by going to B-U-R-R-O-W.com com slash upgrade that is b-u-r-r-o-w borrow.com slash upgrade for 75 dollars off your order our thanks to borrow for their support of this show and relay fm so air power air power is gone jason in the blink of an eye we didn't even we never got to meet air power and air power has been canceled by apple yeah air power after and i guess hashtag mike was right i mean after all of this time waiting for a product that was shown in September 2017, and then nothing, just rumors. Apple did your your classic move, which is the Friday afternoon news dump. On a Friday afternoon, they announced via statements to uh, like Matt Panzerino at TechCrunch and some other places, like, yeah, we're going to not make that product. And then they ran away. As if nothing had ever happened. Look over there, they said. And then they, as the person turned, they ran the other direction. The end. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what happened. So Dan Riccio, uh, who is the SVP of hardware engineering, was put, uh, his name was put to this. He was the, he was the name at the end of all of the PR statements that were handed out to, com- uh, to publications like TechCrunch. Uh, the statement was this. After much effort, we've concluded air power will not achieve our high standards and we have canceled the project. We apologize to those customers that were looking forward to this launch. We continue to believe that the future is wireless and are committed to push the wireless experience forward. And as you mentioned, it was first shown off in September 2017, and it's had this weird life of showing up in random places over that period of time. So it's been hidden in images on the website. It keeps showing up in packaging materials. 
but now it's gone. Are you surprised that Apple canceled AirPower? I okay, so this is this is unprecedented in some ways, but I mean, there was I hate to say where there's smoke there's fire. Hey oh, there it is. How Gruber far did wrote we get about into it. this conversation? <laughs> I I heard about it uh it has been going around like the rumors have been that they had severe problems with the thing they thought they were going to ship and not like it doesn't work. But like, again, I I've said this on this podcast before, but like rumor you know, through the grapevine of like, it's overheated. It's on fire. <laughs> like lots of stuff that was like product safety stuff. And I think Apple, I think it's interesting. I think Apple's not going to ship something that goes be burst into flames some percentage of the time. Anyway, we've already talked about the scale many times about you know even a point one percent problem is uh, magnified by the volume of anything that Apple ships. But uh, for this, like after what happened with Samsung and, and the Galaxy Note, right? Like, boy, you really don't want to be put in a position where you release a product that bursts into flames or that that you know overheats and and does you know basically bad things. And so I'm not surprised because we heard about it. It is, however, surprising that Apple announced a product that they that wasn't far enough, you know, that wasn't ready. That they announced it. Like I get when you um when Apple re- announces a product well in advance because it's a brand new product. And so it's, you know, the Apple Watch was like that, the iPod was like that, the iPhone was like that. I get that 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 sometimes you announce a product um and there's some degree of nervousness there like that iphone that i got to try the day it was announced six months before it shipped and it like was missing apps and barely you know barely worked but some of it worked like they had some confidence that they were going to be able to get it done but you're taking a risk you're talking about the original iphone there right the original iphone yeah the first iphone um but with something like air power it's like why why i guess i guess what happened is they had uh, they had as it turns out, misplaced confidence mm-hmm. that they could ship this product. Mm-hmm. Somebody told somebody told somebody that it was good and it was going to be fine. And they really wanted to take, you know, have an Apple spin on Qi charging because the big feature that they were unveiling in September of 2017 and the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 was wireless charging. And so rather than just saying we've got third parties... They wanted to have like an Apple charger. And it in fact makes me wonder if maybe originally it was supposed to be like the Apple charger was going to be right there and they weren't going to even talk about the Qi chargers. But they they that changed perhaps even before they got yeah. on stage where it was like, oh, it's compatible with all these things and our thing is coming. And that like maybe just because they wanted to have this big picture, you know, of wireless charging, it made them lean into a product that that um somewhere along the line maybe uh, had been questioned. I don't know. I don't know whether they made that decision thinking, oh, it's fine, it's coming out. Whether they're like, well, yeah, it's not as far along as we'd like, but we're still going to announce it because it's a good story to tell. And that's the part that surprises me, honestly, is like I'm surprised that Apple seemed that this thing got through to the point where it was on stage, given that it wasn't, it, it, that it didn't work. Like it wasn't done. And uh, is that because there was this misplaced uh, confidence that it, it, it works? I, you know, I, I hate to bring out the term, but let's just put it out there, which is I think there's a degree of arrogance in this, right? Which is when you look at that statement on stage, it's like Apple has rethought 
how to do wireless charging. And we're going to share our largesse with the Qi charging standards body yep. as well, because we've really figured this whole thing out. And isn't that egg on your face to stand on that stage and be yeah. like, oh, the big boys are here now and we're going to help everybody get better yeah. at this. And then they couldn't release their product. And they hadn't figured it out. And the people who were observing them who had worked on this uh, elsewhere were like, I don't think this makes sense. I don't know how they could do this. And, you know, what to me, that's the this this is a product that is irrelevant, right? It's kind of irrelevant. It's an accessory product, and I think it's only been magnified because it's been this legendary missing product yes. uh, in in a small community who focuses on this stuff. This would have probably been a close to two hundred dollar charging pad. Yeah, it's a footnote product. It would have yeah. it would have been a nice uh, spiff on top of uh, an iPhone sale for the holidays of twenty seventeen. I think that was the whole idea, right? Is you come into the Apple Store and they upsell you to an Air Power, and isn't that great? And it just, you know, but but it's gotten magnified because they said nothing. It's a little bit like, you know, the Mac Pro was, I honestly think way more people cared about the Mac Pro when there was this question about what was going on with yes. it than would actually care. The Mac Mini, too. And the Mac Mini, too, right? So there's this thing about Apple and mystery and, and why aren't they saying anything? And that's the nature of Apple. But, you know, so anyway, I think in that way, it's really is a tempest in a teapot. It's just not that big... Of a, of a deal of a product for me the big deal is how is this allowed to happen because something went horribly wrong mm-hmm. something went wrong in apple's estimation of what kind of products it could make mm-hmm. and that's the thing that presumably in the last year and a half managers at apple have had to grapple with which is like you know i i would be shocked if there is not an apple university course <laughs> seminar <laughs> if not now then soon about what went wrong with air power and not to throw people under the bus but like this was a failure of apple's internal culture somewhere yes. somehow yep. somebody was very confident that they had completely figured this thing out and they were wrong well jason it could have been fear not confidence right that like somebody was tasked with this project i've worked in a big company and this person was like well I know I'm, I've been told I need to do this. Yeah. And we're Apple. We can do anything. I say it's all under control because my job's on the line. I can't say no. Yeah. yeah. But but that is a fa- that is a failure of the yes. internal culture, right? Yes. This is like um, when Stephen and I talk about space stuff on uh, Liftoff, on the podcast we do on Relay FM. It's a great show about space. If you're interested in space tech, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand what it talk Thank about you. on Liftoff. You remember the tagline. That's great. Um, NASA, you know, NASA culture after, after both of the space shuttle disasters... Um, you know, they're looking at this culture of we want to get we want to fly, but you have to counter that with uh, the ability of people involved in working on it to say um, something's wrong. We have to stop mm-hmm. and you have to be able to let those people feel free to raise their hand and basically say, I know everybody, it, hundreds of you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people are working to this thing that the whole nation wants to see where we go and we fly the space shuttle right now. Somebody has to raise their hand and say. So this is wrong. We can't do this. And you can trace both of the space shuttle accidents back to the culture kind of getting rolling and into this point where they kind of like don't they they just want to go. And they, and and that's when you make mistakes. Yes. Uh, and in that case, it's human lives that are at risk. But that is the kind of thing I think that you have to look at at Apple, which is for a product like this, which is they're. There needs to be, employees need to be able to raise their hand and say, no, this isn't going to work and be listened to. And if you get that uh, in space terms, I think they call it go fever, where like everybody just wants to uh, rush to the the end 
and you're just the person who's complaining and you're getting in the way, that's when bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's and, and and so you know again without knowing the details of this and just looking at it, it could be any number of specific things. But in the end, it didn't work. Um, it was either tested and didn't work, or they thought it would work, but they hadn't tested it yet. But you can you can go through the list. A failure happened where a product was announced and marketed that couldn't ship and never did. And if I'm Apple, and again, I think Apple customers, it is irrelevant. It's a product that didn't ship. They could never buy it. It's irrelevant. If I'm inside Apple, though, if I'm doing a course at Apple University, you got to do failure analysis on this. You've got to say what went wrong because that's how you change and grow. So I would actually be shocked if they hadn't already done this. I know it's sensitive and all that, but like this is such a great Apple. Not to quote John Syracuse here, but uh, when John Syracuse is talking about Pixar, you know, one of the things that he talked about a lot is um, one of the ways you learn is to deal with failure. And Pixar had such a long string of successes that his concern was that they weren't. Uh, they were setting themselves up for a fall because they had never really their culture had never really had to figure out how to deal with failure, and um, and I've seen the good dinosaur anyway. Uh, <laughs> or cause too that well yeah the, yeah the good dinosaur is really a failure that is but just mm-hmm. my opinion is that that feels very much like a movie that was completely broken and they tried their best to get it out to be uh, okay and it was okay but you know anyway the point here is Apple has had such a run of success. They, they they are rightly confident in their ability to make products that are great, right? And, you know, you lose the muscles maybe to say, to say, oh, we can't do this. And you need to have that. You need to be able to deal with failure. So uh, I, I, I think it's a fascinating story in terms of how does Apple internally, which we'll never see, we'll never hear about. But like, I, I think Apple may actually emerge from AirPower as a more functional, hopefully, more functional company in terms of knowing what they're capable of, of being disciplined with what they bring to the public. And um, maybe this is a a lesson where some people are going to be able to win some arguments that they lost before Mm -hmm. about this isn't ready. Don't announce it. And I think that's good because they should not announce, pre-announce. There was no reason to pre-announce air power, right? There was really no reason other than it let them tell a little bit broader story about the iPhone 8 and 10 wireless charging. There was no point because they decided to support the standards. If if this was the only wireless charging option, but it was going to come out later, then fine. But the fact that like the iPhone came out with the ability to use any charging yeah. pad and they worked with some companies to get some you know, in their stores or whatever. My review unit came with a third-party Qi charger, mm-hmm. right? It was not a big deal. Um, I don't know why exactly, but like for a long time, I have been in the unpopular camp of thinking this product was never going to come to market. Um, and and I think really for me, it stems from a I have like a, a unwarranted concern about wireless charging. Like just the technology makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know why it is exactly, um, but like the heat thing has always been a concern for me, and. It's and it only got worse when I heard about the fact that like that the, this product was specifically difficult. So when I looked into it, like and kind of thought about what it would take to make, just from a technical perspective, this product would have been incredibly difficult because you had to put multiple multiple coils in there because the co- like so anybody that's used a char- like wireless charging pad will know that you can put your phone down on the pad but it not be lined up properly, right? And then you kind of have to move yeah. it. 
But what Apple was trying to make of air power is you could put it anywhere on this map. So they had to have tons of overlapping wireless coils and Mm -hmm. most likely a separate set of coils for the Apple Watch because the Apple Watch doesn't support Qi charging. And it was also considered, I don't know if this is the case, people have like suggested that AirPods were never supposed to be Qi charging. It was supposed to be proprietary. So then you had to have like Qi plus Apple's proprietary and all of that overlapping, like just the, the, the sheer technical power, the wiring that would have needed to... I was surprised. Honestly, I thought it would come out with a fan in it if it was going to have anything. Uh, th- it was That's a joke. Uh, but like I, I've kind of been... When it did not make Holiday 2017, I've been pretty convinced that, that it was never going to happen. Um, and it seems like that's the case. Uh, last week, so prior to this, a couple of days prior to this, uh, new AirPods were released. And they can be charged with Qi charging. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can either get them, the AirPod, basically the second generation AirPods with the wireless charging or without, or you can buy the wireless charging case. I've seen a lot of people making this point, and I vehemently disagree with it, but I want to get your point, saying that it is bad or deceitful that Apple put the AirPods up for sale before they cancelled AirPower. And I think that that is kind of, that seems ridiculous to me. Um, and I want to know what you think about that. I, I I don't know. I mean, the so I think for most people it's not uh it's not a big deal. I think for most people it's not a big deal because what I said about air power is really true, which is it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just it was a thing said on stage and then forgotten mm-hmm. essentially. Um, I bought. I mean, I bought my new AirPods with the Qi charging thing because it had Qi charging, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like for me, it was it was definitely not a, oh, well, I'll buy these now and then I'll get an air power. No. Um, you know, well, let's say that it happened so quickly that if you are, uh, if you're upset about this, you should just return them, right? Which you can do. You're yeah. still within your rights to do that. So I don't think it's a huge deal. I can see how some people might feel frustrated about the sequence and the fact that they maybe did speculate that they were going to get an air power and then, you know, but the fact is if they've got a recent phone and they've got a, a set of uh, headphones with a recharger, that's a Qi charger, like they were going to need to buy something anyway, probably if yeah. they wanted to do wireless charging, they may have not gotten, I, I, my Twitter timeline has been flooded over the last week with people who are, who were holding out for air power, who are now just shopping for all the other, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the other chargers that yeah. are out there. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, like I said, I think, there, are there some people who maybe bought it completely speculating that they were all in on air power and are now sad? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I don't think that was Apple's intent. And if you really are that bent out of shape about it, I would say, um, return them or exchange them for a, a pair that doesn't wireless charge. Although I have been enjoying the fact that, um, especially the way it generally works is during the day, I'll go out and walk the dog or, or exercise or whatever. And then I'll come back and my wife is gone to work. So her uh, wireless charger is open and I just pop the little AirPods on there and that's great. Yeah. I, it's like, if you, if I, it just seems strange to me that like you would, now the air power doesn't exist. Now you don't want Qi charging on your AirPods. Like there are other wireless chargers. Like if, 
the wireless charging on the AirPods only worked with air power and they released it beforehand, then yeah, I'm totally on board with your upset. But they there are cheap charging pads everywhere. Like there is a product that you can buy. There are loads of options. Just get one and then you'll be fine. I, I don't think that it just seems strange to me that like people I've just seen some people are like super upset about it. And it just seems like a really weird a really weird thing to me. And also just in general, like this is an interesting thing, as you noted, right? Like, this is a, a, an interesting thing. But air power is not an important product. Like, the right. actual product itself is unimportant. The story is more important. Yeah. The relevance to this is what does it say about how Apple is working today and if they have, uh, you know, problems. And this is a very rare public display of product design failure at Apple. That's interesting. Yes. As a product, it is essentially irrelevant Mm -hmm. so yeah because as well like think about wrap your brain around this one it was a bad product it never worked so it was a bad product it never worked and it would have been probably way too expensive and most people would have opted for a perfectly nice uh chi charger this is why they've canceled it because the only option that they had was an expensive product that didn't work properly because like for them to be able to put it out they clearly couldn't do what they wanted right because they've not even delayed it. They've like straight up canceled it. Like this product will, will probably never exist because they are fighting against the laws of physics with this one. I think that was what eventually ended up stopping them is that it, they just couldn't get it to work because the technology that they are having to take advantage of, I just don't think is built to do what they wanted to do with it. So, uh, but yeah, so that's it. Air power has flown away. We will never see it again. Yeah. I really like the Mophie wireless charging base. I have one of those. I think it's really nice. It's 40 bucks. If you are looking for a, a, a Qi charger, I like that one a lot. It's a low profile. Very easy. It's called the, oh, it's actually called the Mophie wireless charging base. Like that is the mm-hmm. name of the product. Okay. Yep. That's it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, a, this, this one called Nomad because it is a wireless charger that ha- does have like multiple coils in it. I don't have one, but I've used one, and they are very nice. Like you can, you can have two devices side by side, or you can like lay the phone on it because it has multiple coils in it. When you put the phone down, you're more likely to hit a coil easily. Um, but they are super back ordered because it is a good looking product, and it does. Uh, they have one that also has an Apple Watch charger in it, so it can do everything you need. Um, and also, uh, if you are still looking for these things, our friends over at Studio Neat, they make us a range of products called the Material Dock, which, and some of them have wireless charging in them as well. So there are mm-hmm. options. They're just not made by Apple. But because this is a standardized technology, as long as you're buying from like a company that, that you trust, you're going to get something good, right? Because it all works. Yeah, and Apple sells a bunch of them on yep. their site too. There's a Logitech stand. There's a a Belkin pad. They have a special edition Belkin pad that looks nice. The regular Belkin pad, I have one of those too. It's not as nice as the Mophie. Um, and then also, yes, there's, depending on which one you get, some of them uh, can charge the iPhone faster than others can. Although I think the ones that are on Apple's site are all like Apple approved uh, work at the right charging rate. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of options available to you. Uh, none of them made by Apple, and I don't expect them to make. I I don't think for for the foreseeable future, Apple will not make a product like this because even if they could do it, I don't think they would want to do it now. That's that's kind of yeah. my view on these things. 
That's probably it. That's probably it. All right, today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. We love Pingdom, and everybody should love Pingdom because Pingdom do what we want with the web. They make everything run nice and smoothly. Pingdom know that website performance monitoring is an important thing. They want to make sure that the websites that you visit remain fast, and Pingdom help keep some of your favorite sites online. Uh, companies like Slack and BuzzFeed and Spotify and Relay FM will all use Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring because websites can get really, and they actually are really complicated these days, but with Pingdom, you can monitor any site transaction. It's not just like, is my site up or down? It will monitor that. But you can also have them make sure that your user registration function is working properly. Your login stuff is, is okay. And your checkouts are up and available for people when they want to buy stuff. Pingdom cares about making sure that your users have the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know in whatever way you want them to let you know. It's so easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they'll take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now, and you can get a 14-day trial with no credit card required so you can see just how great Pingdom is. And then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you will get a massive 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM and the code UPGRADE at checkout. And thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. So last week, we didn't get uh, to talk about the iPad Mini because Apple had the big event. We have some more thoughts on uh, th- the last week's news in a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that we spent some time talking about the iPad Mini because you have one for review. Um, and it seems like from your review, from reviews that I've seen from other outlets, like everyone seems pretty happy with this device, maybe more than we necessarily would have expected when assuming that... Uh, there is going to one day be another one, right? Like, I don't know if necessarily everybody thought that, oh, there will be an iPad mini, and when it arrives, we're all going to like it. Well, I think a lot of us who are not regular iPad mini users moved on, right? Mm -hmm. Because the new iPads for a long time were not the iPad mini. And I used to use an iPad mini, but I switched to, you know, did I go to the iPad Air and then to the iPad Pro or maybe straight to the iPad Pro? But it was a, you know... I've been on the iPad Pro for a long time. And the mini, you know, you you just you forget if you're if you're not using it, you forget all the good things about it are its size. And the bad thing about it was that it hadn't been updated and it wasn't modern. And the great thing about the new iPad mini is that it keeps all the things that were good about it. It is literally the same size as the iPad mini 4. And it's modern. It's got modern processor, it uses the Apple Pencil. It it's got, you know, all of this kind of modern iPad stuff in it. It's not an iPad Pro, but it is a a solid modern device. And what that means is that if you like the mini size, then uh, there are no, you know, essentially no compromises, almost no compromises here. It is a very good iPad mini, which we haven't had in a long time because it's been a long time since it got an update. And it is striking to carry it around. It is so light. It is so small. Um, I, I wrote my review of the iPad mini, or at least half of it, on the iPad mini with a, like a Bluetooth keyboard with a magic keyboard. Um, and that was perfectly fine. I mean, multitasking is a little weird on such a small screen. I think it's better for people as it has always been for people with very good eyesight because it's taking the 9.7 inch screen and then squishing it down. It's all the pixels of the larger iPad. Mm -hmm. It's still that way. So it's a very high resolution screen. Um, because all those pixels are just smaller. So everything's smaller, which means that if you want to use it as a reading device or something like that, you might want to crank up the default text size um, in order to get it back to kind of a reasonable size. But I will tell you, like, 
it is, uh, especially if you're somebody who loves the iPad and has a big iPad, you know, I think I think we have that conversation about the multi-iPad lifestyle again, because I've definitely heard from people, and I had this thought myself, which is, this is a great reading device. Now, I like having a Kindle, but I also read a lot on my iPad, because I read newspaper apps and, and Apple News and all sorts of other stuff on my iPad. And this is a, you know, so nice and small and light iPad compared to my enormous iPad Pro. Um, and, you know, I can see its appeal as a reader. So one of the things that's interesting to me, I think, about this iPad Mini is that from a software perspective, at least right now, it can do anything that any iPad can do, right? Like it can do multitasking. Yeah. It can have three apps, which the previous one couldn't do. So you have mm-hmm. two in the multitasking and one in slide over. What is it like to have an iPad that is that competent at this size? Do you even think of it in the same way when you're using it, like the larger iPads, or does your kind of mindset shift when you're using something smaller? I have to say, I the way I viewed it was sort of like, well, I can do this, and that's great, but it, this is sort of ridiculous, and nobody should do this. Mm-hmm. There's some aspect of that, which is on such a small screen, and and even on the 9.7, the, there's some truth in this. Like, the bigger your screen is, the big, better iPad multitasking is. Yeah, it's more comfortable in, in those sizes. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's cramped, but it's usable, which is nice, because if you've got that muscle memory of, like, I just want to drag this app out so I can see these things side by side, which I do all the time. Um, you know, put put Fantastical on one side and Doodle on the other so that I can see what my calendar is when I'm saying when I'm available. I do that stuff all the time. Or you slide over to do it. Um, so having that there, uh, it's good because if you if you have used other iPads, you don't get frustrated and say, oh, this thing doesn't do that. It does everything. Mm-hmm. It is a little ridiculous, but, you know, that's okay. And And again, you know, some of the people who use iPads, who love iPads the most, are um, have great eyes. And small hands, and they're kids, and for them, you know, they can they can multitask and they can draw on it with an Apple pencil or that Logitech crayon or whatever they want, and like, it's it's great, it's great for kids, it's great as a reader, um, and and honestly, if you are somebody who likes that size, I mean, that's the beauty of it is you don't have to make a compromise. You know, I mean, yeah, you can't use like the Apple Pencil 2 or whatever, but it's like it, you, you don't have to go back in time several years in order to use that size if you like yeah. that size. And that's yeah. great. I think that these are kind of pretty similar um, reports like I've seen reviews of the new iPad Air and people seem to really like it. And I think in an interesting way, and I totally get it, it doesn't get the same criticism from uh, people that the pro gets about what it's capable of because it is not intended to necessarily be, at least in name, like this is your right. computer replacement tablet. It's like, no, this is just your like tablet tablet. So like it can do all of that stuff. It doesn't look like an iPad. It doesn't have USB-C. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't raise the question as much because these are pretty powerful devices, but it doesn't yep. raise the question as much as the iPad Pro about like the gap between functionality and power uh, and, and functionality price. <laughs> and power mm-hmm. where it's like oh this is priced like a laptop and has the power of a laptop but doesn't do all the things that a laptop does the, I, the ipad mini and the ipad air uh yeah i mean it's still they're still pretty powerful you could still ask that question but it's less about that and you mentioned like multi-pad lifestyle the idea of having multiple ipads um 
and and I think that this definitely does fit that idea, maybe even more so than a lot of people would thought would have thought before. This is like a little notepad. This is like a little book, right? That you could have. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not a cheap device, but there is maybe with something like this, if you're especially if you're rocking the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro, if you're looking for something smaller, this definitely fits that maybe more than any of the other devices have for the last few years, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, something else that I wanted to mention. I think it's got lost. I, I missed this in, in the initial uh, kind of news that came out, that the Logitech Crayon, which is the only kind of third-party device that has some of Apple's blessed technology in it to work like the Apple Pencil in some ways, is actually going is actually now supported on every single iPad, right? Yeah, that is every single modern iPad. So I tried it on the 10.5-inch iPad Pro didn't work. But on the current iPad Pros with the iOS update that came out and then on the on the 6th generation iPad and the new iPad mini and the new iPad Air um the pencil works across all of them or the crayon works across all of them. Yeah. Which means it is uh it it it, it works across all of them in a way that the Apple Pencil doesn't because you have the Apple Pencil 2 on some of them and the Apple Pencil 1 on some of them. Um the crayon isn't for everybody. I have one and I like it. It doesn't do pressure sensitivity. So if you're using it for drawing, you're not going to like it. Um, it is a carpenter's pencil uh, style. So it's got a, 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 a flat wide side and then a thin side. So it holds in your hand differently. Although I, I kind of like it. I like how, how you've got a little more grip area as somebody who is not a great pen and pencil user. I, I like the kind of grip of it. It has a physical power on off button. So it's very different kind of uh, uh, look and feel. It's it's anodized aluminum with kind of like neon um, silicone gaskets on it. It's got a plug into which you plug a lightning cable. So the opposite of the Apple Pencil 1. It is a super different product. It is a very different product. Oh, but here's here's the other thing. So you should consider it if you've got like an iPad Pro and an iPad Mini or something like that. You want to use the same implement across both of them. You can do that. And that's actually one of the most interesting things about the product and has been since it launched. Um, but it was more of a school feature before. Um, it doesn't it doesn't do Bluetooth pairing. It's it's entirely proximity based. So if you if you want to take an iPad uh, or an Apple Pencil from one iPad and use it on another iPad you have to repair it with the new iPad. And that's true for Pencil 1 or Pencil 2. The crayon, um, when you touch the crayon to the surface of a compatible iPad, it draws. And then you move it to another iPad that's also compatible, it draws. Like it just goes, it hops from iPad to iPad, which is, you can see why that might be good in a classroom setting because you don't have to worry about pairing and unpairing these things all the time. But I think if you've got multiple iPads around your house and maybe it's a shared uh, crayon that anybody in the house can use if they want to draw something or write something, um, you know, so it's an interesting product and it's cheaper than the Apple Pencil. Um, But again, not as fully functional in terms of uh, pressure sensitivity and stuff like that. But for some uses, in some use cases, it's actually, I think, a pretty great product. Something that I find interesting, though, the reason it doesn't work on older iPads is because it needs some kind of technology within the iPad, right, to to find to enable it to connect. I think there's a radio frequency that is built into whatever chip they're using in yep. the uh, from the sixth generation iPad forward that was not there previously. But it's fascinating to me that that chip's been in the iPad Pros for all this time and nothing's happened with it. So, like, the, the capability's been there. 
but they haven't turned and it on. And they just didn't turn it on. Yeah. And like I Isn't see something, I'm weird? like, huh. Like, again, I have no real thought of, about that other than it's interesting, but that is very interesting to me, right? That this has been possible, but for whatever reason, they just waited. I don't know what the reason was. But it's super, it's super interesting. And as Zach has mentioned in the chat room, which I agree, like the listing on Apple's website, it only references the sixth generation iPad itself. It doesn't really talk about compatibility wise the other iPads. It, it mentions, oh, see, this is super weird. The product itself is called Logitech Crayon for iPad sixth generation. In the tech specs on the uh, listing on Apple's website, it talks about iPad Air, Mini, and the iPad. Uh, the 6th gen iPad doesn't even mention the iPad Pros, even though it supports it. Super weird, but again, really interesting. I think that is maybe the overall theme of today's episode is there's some weird stuff going on and we don't really know what it means, but it's interesting that it's happening. Yep. Speaking of which, let's talk about last week's event a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to just provide one piece of follow-up um, because we were talking about Apple Arcade a lot and like, is this going to be a closed off thing? Uh, there is a contact form on Apple's developer site where you can submit your game or idea for your game for consideration to be included in Apple Arcade. From my perspective, this just tells me that it is a closed-off system um, that you have to be invited to. You can kind of put your hand up to Apple yeah. and say, like, hey, look at me over here. But I don't think for a f- the foreseeable future, and this is honestly for me enforce that, that we're going to see any way that a developer can just opt in to be included in Apple Arcade. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I actually view this as a positive because I thought it was going to be, um, and, and maybe this is just a deflection, but I thought this was going to be very much like, if you have to ask you can't afford it kind yeah, of stuff. Like, yeah, don't yeah. don't call us, we'll call you. That's probably a more appropriate thing to say. Mm-hmm. Don't call us, we'll call you um, when you impress us with your game prowess. And instead, they put up a, a link in the developer section that says, yes, uh, tell us if you're awesome and we'll look at that. And maybe it really is just that they got besieged by people asking about this and they decided to create a funnel or they knew they were going to get besieged and they created a funnel so that people had some place to go. And for them, it's like, look, we have this thing... We'll check it when we want to check it, and there might be some interesting stuff in there. What I wonder what how they view in terms of like talent scouts. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that things will come across the transom that are interesting. It is, you know, they are. It is developer relations, and presumably you will need a track record to be in Apple Arcade. Yeah. So if somebody clicked that link and said, "I've actually developed fifteen App Store games, and they've all done pretty well, and I'm working on something that would be perfect for Apple Arcade," then there's probably a developer relations person who kicks that over to whoever is doing Apple Arcade and says, "This one could be interesting." Yeah, I mean, t- to be honest, Apple should already know the companies that they would want in this thing. Yeah, they 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 know their partnerships, and they should be watching the App Store as well, mm-hmm. right? And to see the people that, like, you know, when we were talking about Zach Gage, um you know, who has made so many great games like that, that I would be shocked if somebody from Apple had not talked to Zach Gage. How would you not talk to Zach Gage after he's made so many amazing iOS games? Like have a conversation. Maybe he says he's not interested, but you know, I I would imagine that Apple's uh, Apple arcade people are scouring the app stores games for good games that not, not to 
bring into Apple Arcade even, but to find those developers and say, would you like to work with us? Mm -hmm. And it's weird because it's like a development process. It's almost like Hollywood-like in that way. But it definitely isn't going to be, hey, I wrote a game. I will check the box to submit it to Apple Arcade and see what happens. That does not seem to be in the cards. This is a curated service. These are business deals being made. And it's probably that if you've got a great idea for a game, what you should do is, is publish the game and have everybody notice how great it is. And then you point to that and say, hey, Apple, everybody like this game. Fun my next game. Fun my Fun my next game. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Apple News Plus. Uh, Have you been spending any time with it? I haven't been able to because hashtag UK. But um, I want to know if you spent any time with it and what your kind of uh, feelings are on the overall experience and the content. Uh, I have been spending some time with it. I never really liked Apple News, and I never really liked the Apple News interface, and I've spent the last week reminding myself of why. Um, Hmm. I really hope they're doing a revision of the interface in uh, June at WWDC uh, for release in the fall, because... Uh, it's not good. Like Apple News is kind of grafted on and you got to go many levels down. And I, I really want to be able to say these are my favorite new, you know, sources and then see the stories from them. But it's so deep down in this kind of magazine concept. Uh, it's hard to find the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times in there because, you know, and you can dig through and then tap on their masthead logo and then favorite them. And then you've got a shortcut to them. But like that part's hard. The magazines are very much like, here is a list of magazine stories. I would really like, you know, and maybe they'll improve on the tagging side too. But like Sports Illustrated releases their baseball preview issue and they've got a great cover story about baseball. I want that to float up in my little baseball favorites list that I've got set up in Apple News. And as far as I can tell, they don't, they don't cross the streams and that's frustrating it's like i just want it one place i don't want to hunt down sports illustrated or espn the magazine or whatever if they've got good articles about baseball or you know whatever your favorite topic is those should float up to me and uh if they are i don't i'm not seeing them and i think it's really confusing and uh i think it's great in terms of what content they've got especially the stuff that's in apple news format i think that's really interesting but it feels tacked on to an existing product that already had a weird interface and so it's sort of doubly weird now so i don't i don't love that about it um so from a reader's perspective i like the idea of the content and once you get into an article it's okay although even there i gotta say like so watch the no the wall street journal content like every third paragraph there they insert garbage so this is you know you're you're with your subscription to apple news plus you get Wall Street Journal content. Great, because uh, that's just paywalled on the outside. But it's literally like two paragraphs and an ad for other Wall Street Journal content, followed by two more paragraphs and an ad, followed by two more paragraphs and an ad for related content from the Wall Street Journal, followed by two paragraphs, followed by another ad. It's so bad. See, that's the gamification of the system already happening, right? Like this is the game of like the 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 kind of exploitation system, because for these people to be paid, they need to have people looking at their content. So instead of them serving you traditional advertising, they are replacing those ad blocks with ads for their content. Because then, if you go read more Wall Street Journal content, you're going to get more money from Apple. So I understand yep. why they're doing it, but then the idea of Apple saying there's no ads in this is like, well. What's an ad? Let's define what an ad is first, shall we? Because you can definitely advertise your own content. So I just called up a news story um, 
about the uh, Ethiopian Airlines 737 crash. And, you know, as you scroll down, you get more from WSJ in a little gray bar, followed by five uh, headlines. So um, uh, how the points guy became the credit card kingmaker, uh, the right way to choose a college, right? Like, And then after those headlines, it immediately goes back into the story. Mm-hmm. So that's super jarring because it tells you where the, the house ad begins, but not where it ends. And then you continue reading. There's a picture and two more paragraphs. And then what's news in a big gray box, which is sign up for our newsletter. Then there's three more paragraphs. And then there's related coverage with three more bulleted headlines. Um, by the way, the first set of headlines was not bulleted. The second set of headlines is bulleted. Again, there's no conclusion to that. So then you just kind of have to find your way to the next paragraph of this story that you're trying to read, kind of having it flow together. It's not on the side. It's just right in your face. And this is the, you know, premium I paid for this experience. And it's, it's bad. It's just lousy. So you're right. It is. They are trying to push more views because that's uh, how they get more money. And probably the argument inside the Wall Street Journal was, well, you know, we'll, um, We'll give away some content, but we're also going to like use it to heavily promote our newsletters and other stuff, which gets them into our, you know, our database instead of Apple's database. And uh, and so you can see them doing it. So, you know, I'm I'm disappointed as a reader uh, and I think it could be way better. And I hope it does get better um, when they have a little more time to, uh, you know, redesign the news app with News Plus in mind. I mean, I know you're not everybody who uses news is going to be a News Plus subscriber and that's fine. But I would like a kind of like an experience that is better thought out for everybody than maybe what is there now. Mm-hmm. Um, from a publisher standpoint, um, I am fascinated by this. And, and I want to I point to a very good conversation on a podcast you may be familiar with, Mike, called Connected last week. Oh, wow. Um, and Federico had some, some good uh, thoughts about this. And I, I just wanted to say, as somebody who worked in magazines for a long time, like... The the fifty percent revenue share, whatever that is, I remain deeply skeptical that any magazine publisher will really be able to um, have this be a good revenue source. But uh, what really struck me is Federico was talking about the idea of having to build in Apple News format, and uh, I want to echo something he said, which is a lot of people out there, their attitude is like, "Oh, Apple News format is easy; just do it." It's like, no, that's not how it works. Like you're a publication, whether you're on the web or whether you've got a magazine or a newspaper, you've got existing tech that's all set up to do and has been built over time to do certain things. Apple News format isn't easy. There are a lot of things that are complicated about it. I don't do Apple News format on six colors because I don't think I can technically. I think because of the way that my system is built, I've actually given some thought to changing my CMS just to do it, but I don't see a lot of benefit. Maybe there will be a growing benefit over time, but um, I'm just doing regular old HTML and RSS right now. Yeah, and CMS is a content management system, so that's Sorry, like the, yes, the system it's that the Jason publishing, uses, yeah, to publish yeah, the article. publishing system you use to generate your web content or your magazine content, quite frankly. And so, first off, so it's it's a little like telling a developer, oh, this is an easy feature to add; it'll just take a day, right? Like, no, that's not you, you don't understand the complexity of these systems. So, adding Apple News f- uh, format at all is an issue. Um, if you're a magazine, right, and like they've got half these magazines basically to do it, like they have to do a new content export. Uh, to in this format, in, and they're and they're usually laying things out in Cork Express or InDesign, 
and generating out essentially PDFs, whether you print it or you go into some digital mag format, it's basically a PDF out of a layout. They also need to get those articles into Apple News format. So it's technically complex. And that means it costs. It costs money for you to hire a developer or task your on-staff developer to build this thing. And I'll tell you, I used to fight long and hard to get prioritization for uh, development resources to get features that we wanted implemented. It, it, it's hard to do, especially if you've got limited resources at a, at a publishing company, very limited tech resources, usually. Um, and if you have to get somebody from the outside, they have to understand your system. So it's extra complicated. And that doesn't even cover the other part of this, which is um, the doing of it. Because most of these things, it doesn't happen automatically. You have to have a person every time you do an issue, do an export, uh, get things in the right format. It is really complicated. It adds a lot. And all along the way, you have to make that calculation. Like, is it worth it? What are we getting out of this? And you're getting some money. You're not getting customer names. You may be able to do a Wall Street Journal and insert lots of junk in it in order to get more views, which is more money, or to get names through a newsletter or something like that. But it is a difficult thing as a publishing business to make that uh, calculation. And whether you're you're doing an export from your page layout or whether you're doing an export from your web publishing system and doing a different version of that, it is, uh, it's expensive and it takes time. And they talk about like the live covers and all that. It's like, well, now you've got to do a, wi a video workflow and have your cover designer and pay them extra to get some video and to do a totally separate design in order to do the live cover thing that Apple uh, showed off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just... It is my skepticism about the the, the reported fifty percent is all informed by my thoughts about like how Apple is really asking people to make a custom content workflow to get things out to Apple News, and then when Federico talks about how everybody's basically using one template, like Apple has provided some some templates for content in Apple News format, and everybody's kind of using one template. Uh, that's the other part of this is everything kind of looks samey looks boring. Uh, because because it's even more expensive to pay somebody to build, you know, multiple Apple News templates or to have people formatting like article by article mm -hmm. the these special designs of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And and it, it just it all adds up. It's not it's not easy. It's it's hard. It's complicated. It's expensive. Yep. It takes time. And that is a challenge for Apple. Now, it's way better than the old approach on newsstand, which was, hey, everybody write an app. Because then you're not only doing all the content flow stuff, but you're also developing an iOS app. That yep. was way worse. But it, it is not like not work to do this now. And if you're a publisher, it you know, you you have to analyze that and and see what's going on. I did notice, by the way, that Macworld my former employer, and currently still I write for them weekly, uh, they're in there in Apple News format, which I am fascinated by. I really wonder what the backstory is there. Um, they're, they're in Apple News format, while Mac Life seems to be there just as a PDF right now. So I don't know. Yeah, and it is this expense and this potential expense for what nobody knows as being any gain yet, which is probably why most of the magazines, or like a lot of the magazines, are still PDFs and not in Apple yeah. News format. I imagine that's a text. Those are people who are in texture and are like, "Yeah, we're not interested in doing yeah. that right now, or we can't, or we can't do it in time, or whatever it is." Yep. 
Yeah, or because as well, like the PDF, is, if you're a traditional magazine, like if you're actually publishing a magazine, not like where a lot of the companies would be web first, but there are a lot of like companies that aren't, they still make magazines. They have PDFs of those magazines. It's probably trivial, really, for them to put those into Apple's system because these are mag- these are like PDFs that exist. Like they have to make them to, to make the magazine. So yeah. That those ones, it's like, well, we'll give it a go. And that's probably why there is so many of those. And as you say, because that's what texture was. So, right, so they've already got them set up for texture and they yeah. just keep it flowing for them. Mm-hmm. But the the key is seeing over time, how does it change? Do we end up with more Apple News Plus uh, magazines in general? Do we end up with more news companies moving in? And do they look like they belong there or do they look like they're just scans of magazines? That's going to be the key as it goes forward. But thank you for your uh, your insight on that, though, Jason. I mean, it just it, it is very funny that I spend enough time in the magazine world that I learned all of this stuff. And it, you know, every time Apple deals with them, and, and Apple News Plus is a good example. It is fascinating to watch it happen, and I look forward to seeing what they do next. It is it's a real challenge because I think it is an opportunity for some magazines to get their content out there in a way like getting magazines to think about articles and not uh, pieces of paper or PDF pages is hard. Take it from me. I spent years dragging people into thinking about the web. And this is a little bit like that. But with a, um, you know, with the the carrot is money from Apple for for page views, basically. So, um, you know, I hope it works out. I do think Apple News Plus is a nice idea. And uh, there are things I don't like about it, but I think there is some potential there too. But it's going to be hard because I'm not sure. Ultimately, I'm just not sure whether the business model is very strong for the publishers, for the content generators to do the work. Today's episode is brought to you by Hello, the company you make insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. If you've never tried a buckwheat pillow, they're very different from regular pillows. They support your head and neck, and they don't collapse under the weight of your head like traditional pillows. And they stay cool as well, because buckwheat pillows are made from these little buckwheat hulls. Really, it feels to me like a like a fancy beanbag, I think is probably the best way to describe it. I like the sound that they make. There's like a sound that it makes. It's very soothing to me as I move around, and I hear this like almost like wave crashing sound in my ears. I absolutely love my hollow pillow. I've been sleeping on a hollow pillow for nearly a year now and I will never go back because I really really like the way it feels when I stay in hotels now I don't feel like I have the comfort that I'm used to I don't have the support that I'm used to and like buckwheat tends to breathe better the pillow doesn't get humid there's no more flipping to the cool side of the pillow it's always cool and you can also really easily customize how much you like how big you want your pillow to be because you can just remove or add the filling to suit your needs buckwheat pillows are very popular in Japan and you can get them at some fancy hotels or whatever because it is a it's a more it's like a different experience maybe more premium experience but I'm completely sold on this I, I really really love my hollow pillow they're made in the USA with quality construction and materials this the certified organic cotton cases cut and sewn for durability and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well you can sleep on one of these and try it out for 60 nights if hollow isn't for you you can just send it back for a refund go to hollowpillow.com upgrade right now and you can try out your own buckwheat pillow 
Hullo. That is H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W dot com slash upgrade. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off, depending on the size that you opt for. They have fast, free shipping with every order, and 1% of all the profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy as well. Give it a try. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, you just send it back for a refund. That is com slash upgrade right now. Our thanks to Hullo for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we move into hashtag ask upgrade. And our first question comes from Richard. Thank you. Slightly delayed lasers this week. Richard says, I've been listening to Upgrade Forever. Oh, that's nice. Upgrade Forever should be our movie name. Uh, but anyway, I'm an, but I'm an Android and Windows power user, and I'm only now buying my first Apple device. I just want to say, Richard, i got much respect for you, my friend. Right, that you've been listening to this show and you're only just getting your first Apple device. Like, thank you so much. Um, but Richard's getting an iPad Air 2019 with a bridge keyboard and a Logitech crayon. That is a great setup. But Richard wants to know, can you recommend any resources to help quickly get up to speed and get the most out of iOS for the iPad? So one that I wanted to recommend, I actually have two to recommend to Richard. One is Federico's iOS reviews. So Federico did an iOS review like he does every year so you got the ios 12 review is the most recent um i did an audiobook version of it as well which you can you can buy but the the web version is available for you to read for free on the website i'll put a link in the show it's very nicely laid out federico basically dives into every single feature of the operating system so this is a really good way to find out how some pieces work um so that's really great so that's available to you uh and you could also look at one of the take control books so this is the the take control series is uh is it still published by Tidbits, Jason? No, it's uh, Joe Kissel uh, now is the publisher of it. Yeah, it's like an independent thing now, right? Like Take Control is now its own thing where it used yeah. to be part of Tidbits. Um, but Josh Centers wrote um, the Take Control of iOS 12 book, which is in essence a guide where Federico's is kind of like looking at mm-hmm. the features and talking about them. Um, so there are a couple of, I think, really good resources. But I will say, though, like if you've been listening to shows like this for a while, uh, you probably know a lot of it. But if you're, you know, you're looking for some of the nuts and bolts, there are a couple of good resources for you. Yeah, I was going to mention maybe uh, he said iPad, though. That's the thing. So, uh, so David Sparks has a Mac Sparky Field Guide about the iPhone. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. But it, back at Macworld, in the, back in the day... We had a Mac Basics and an iPad Basics and like these eBooks, but they're all out of date because they don't do them anymore. So I, uh, it's very sad. But those are those are all good choices. Federico's stuff is great, and uh, I think that iOS uh, 12 Take Control book is a great uh, example. Josh's book uh, because it's going to be much more of a traditional kind of like step by step kind of thing. And David Sparks has a, a shortcuts field guide as well that is uh if you want to get into um you know the most out get the most out of ios for ipad shortcuts is a great way to to do that and david takes you through a whole bunch of different shortcuts you can do yeah david has a bunch of amazing look like courses and stuff in general as well uh i'll put links to all of that in the show notes if it's stuff that you're looking for so there's a lot there is a lot of great content available if you're trying to learn this stuff uh, which is wonderful uh, our next question comes from Mike, not me. Uh, what do you think the odds are that the next iPhone or iPad would have support for an Apple-built game controller? Well, that, I mean, it's 100%, right? Because um, if Apple does a game controller, it's going to be Bluetooth and it'll work with Apple TV and all that. I don't think Apple will build a game controller, but if it did, I imagine that it would work with all of them mm-hmm. because it would be Bluetooth. 
Yeah, there are a bunch of controls available, and Apple has actually been... I mean, this is relatively quiet, and I say it's quiet. Like, do it in the open, but nobody knows because nobody really buys these controllers. They're called MFI, made for iPhone controllers. They've been adding more support over time, so, like, more buttons. Um, so, like, for example, being able to click in the analog sticks, so called L3 or R3, in a, like, on PlayStation, for mm-hmm. example. Um, that has been, like, API changes that has been that have been happening over time. Uh, so there are new controllers now which can support these additional functions. Uh, like SteelSeries Nimbus is one, the HoriPad yeah. is another one. Um, so these are, these are products that exist that have been, have been existing for a while and Apple is slowly over time adding more functionality to it. Um, hmm. As long as the SteelSeries Nimbus exists, I'm not sure that Apple really needs to make one. That is like a Apple-blessed device. Yep. So. I don't think they need to make one. I don't know if they will make one. They are more likely to make one now than they ever have been before. But I just Agreed. don't really know if it's something that Apple should or needs to do. Uh, they could just do a better job of promoting the products that already exist, a la Qi Charging. <laughs> because yep. Apple can't make that product, uh, so they're going to have to continue to promote and help other people uh, Let do me- it. Let me put it another way. Do you want the people who brought you the uh, Siri remote for Apple TV to make a game controller? I don't. Our next question comes from Tyler. Tyler wants to know, how long do you think that air power will continue to be an autocorrected word on the iOS keyboard? Because it does the, is it called camel casing when there's a a capital letter in the middle? Uh, Do you think this is going to continue? Like Apple have a trademark on this? Like, uh, what do you think? Do you think they're going to keep it or do you reckon they'll stop doing it? I I think it's going to continue to be in there for a very, 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 very long time. (laughs) And it will become like an interesting trivia question about why does iOS (laughs) correct air power wrongly? And the answer is going to be, well, let me tell you a story about a uh, September day, a sunny September day in 2017 when they stood on stage and announced a product that didn't ship. You know, it's one of those things. Like, I, I assume that like a lot, a lot of the very hardworking people, places like Mac Rumors and Nine to Five Mac, who like really dig into the betas, right? I assume that they must have like some kind of checklist that they're going through of like things that they have to check to see if they've changed and like areas to look. Someone's got to put this on their checklist if that exists, right? Like, is Air Power still capitalized? And like, when when is that going to happen? When will it stop? Uh, Connor, Connor asks, after the uh, event last week, uh, my fiance accepted new terms and conditions for Apple Pay, and she is now lo- no longer able to send peer-to-peer payments because she only has a credit card in her Apple wallet. Does Apple no longer allow credit cards to work with Apple Pay? That is actually very yes. true, in fact. That is what happens. So with the update to iOS, um, the most recent update to iOS and to, uh, to watchOS, Apple are no longer allowing uh, credit cards to be the funding source for Apple Cash. I think it's called. Is it called Apple Cash now, or is it still called Apple Pay Cash? Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's unclear to me, uh, and I haven't done the work, but it struck me that on stage they were kind of moving to Apple Cash from Apple Mm -hmm. Pay Cash. Yeah, Apple Card, Apple Cash, right? Like that's kind of where it's going. So I'm. Yeah, no, they they've cut off credit cards, and you need a debit card to connect. Mm -hmm. And they they want the they don't want to pay the credit card fees to fund an Apple Pay Cash account. And I think it. Uh, debit card you can you can send them the other way and it's basically yep. a fun it's transfer free with debit and- card um it was originally reported that it will still be free with apple card so that was like a thing that was being reported everywhere whether it was believed that was going to be the case or or expected but there was an in the nine to five mac report that i read they are reporting that this is not the case like 
that it still won't work even with Apple Card as your only funding method. Um, so the cash back that you're going to get will go there. But actually trying to fund your Apple Cash balance with a credit card is not even going to work for Apple Card because this was being positioned as like a, ha-ha, that's how they're going to drive adoption, right? Like that was kind of like the looking for the sneaky thing, um, which I would have understood. But they're saying that 9to5Mac is saying that, no, it won't. So they didn't cite where they got that information, but it, seemed like they were pretty sure about it so it seems like what what has probably happened here is the um the provider that apple's using is just not going to do it anymore i I reckon that's what's going on but that'll be something to watch out for if that is the case but yes if you have a credit card won't work you need to use a debit card now and lonnie asks what are some of your favorite ios games now jason i have a list can i just read my list and then because i reckon i'm going to pick up what you you would have in your list as well you're going to pick up a lot of mine yeah great because i have a folder on my iphone that just has some of my favorite games in of all time because i still play them so uh, i will put links in the show notes to all of these so these are some of my favorite ios games of all time threes flip-flop solitaire pocket rum pool stage hand alto's adventure alto's odyssey and hold down uh, Alto's Odyssey is probably my all-time favorite. Yep. Um, and what's the other one I want? And, and Really Bad Chess is good. And yep. That's also Zach Gage. And oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Um, I'm sure there are others. I, there's a game called Orbital that I still play. That's ancient and probably um, not long for this world. I don't know. But then again, it's survived this long. Maybe it'll continue. That I play on my iPhone. Um, God, wow. There are. I'm sure I'm forgetting some really excellent games. But there there are there are lots of great ios games out there so yep. yeah the, the, you you covered a lot of them yeah. threes and flip-flop and the, those are and stagehand is really good that's true yeah. too we mentioned yeah. zach gage earlier on in the episode um and we've just like it was funny to me that we did mention him because they're like three of the games that we've just spoken about zach gage made i think that he's one of the most talented ios game makers um that's around right now so great ideas all perfectly executed uh yeah they're worth checking out but yeah, the, yeah. There, there's there's so many just so many great yeah i games. like oh oh that's it super stickman golf i love super stickman golf it's great and it's got great network play um black box is a really good game mm-hmm. fill in the blank text game it's not what you expect uh mini metro mini metro i like a lot uh i was playing that this weekend and it's soothing because they have endless mode now where you just build a um like train lines in a city. When you said black box, did you mean uh, the game by Oh, Norman sorry, Morgan? black bar. Okay. That's what I mean, black, black bar. Black box is also another good game, though. Also another good game. But no, I meant black bar. Yeah. The fill-in-the-blank game. Uh, yeah, so many. And Monument Valley, right? Oh, Monument of Valley. I love yes. Monument yes. Valley. I can't believe I forgot Monument Valley. There's a lot of great games out there, is what oh. we're saying. All the great games is something you could actually say. No, actually, that's not true. But there's a lot of really, <laughs> there's a lot of great games on Switch as well. But uh, I want to actually say that I just started playing a game called Baba Is You today. Uh, Baba Is You uh, on the on the Switch today. That's a super interesting. Um, just uh, just play it. Just try it. And by the way, which Super Stickman Golf is your favorite? They're all great. Um, you know, the latest one has the most stuff in it, although I kind of like the simplicity of the earlier versions too, but it's all, it's all fun. I haven't played it in a while. I have friends who still play against each other all the time and I'm not naming names, but those names would be Dan Morin and Dan Frakes (laughs) and Lex Friedman maybe too. They, they they're, yeah, it's, it's a great game. It's like a super, it's not, if you're like, oh, golf, golf is boring. It's like, it's not golf. I mean, it's golf. golf, but it's like. 
it's arcade golf and it's extreme weird arcade golf, but it is hilarious and delightful. And they have they have a turn based uh, version where you play against another person, but they've also got a live version, which is great because it's live golf. And if you can imagine, you're in a weird like half zero g alien environment with walls that stick and stuff, and you're playing golf, and so like you need to shoot your next shot as fast as possible because you're seeing everybody else also hitting their balls as fast as possible to get to the hole. It's hilarious. It is some of the most fun I've had playing an iOS game because it leads to just ridiculous finishes where everybody's right at the end and they're who is going to get in first. And there are weird, you know, turns of events because the physics are strange and it's great. What is that other golfing game? Desert golfing, desert golfing, the one that, that Marco played all yeah. eight thousand levels of, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's pretty good. One. That's pretty good too. But that's a more traditional golf game, except that it goes on forever, and uh, there's no score. Or I mean, there's a score, but it doesn't matter, which is kind of brilliant. If you want to send in a question for us to answer on the show, hashtag AskUpgrade would be that. Uh, please tweet those out, and they'll go into a document for us to pick from in the future. Um, don't forget, if you want to get tickets to uh, the Relay FM live show connected at WWDC, you can find a link in the show notes for that, Wednesday, June 5th. Uh, thanks to Borrow and Hollow and Pingdom for their support of this show. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com, and he's at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Um, and so th- th- I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode, as always, um, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.